I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Brando Skyhorse, who has received awards for both his novel, The Madonnas of Echo Park, and for his memoir, Take This Man. We'll be talking about flash fiction, which he teaches at Bennington College, and how it relates to poetry. Then, I will further our exploration of flash fiction with some examples from Amy Hempel and some commentary from Joyce Carol Oates and Grace Paley. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Brando Skyhorse. He's an Hispanic Native American author who is the winner of a Penn Hemingway Award and the Kaufman Prize for First Fiction. I met him at Bennington College, where he's on the faculty. After I heard him read, uh, I was interested, so I looked him up in the faculty directory and was very pleased to find out that he teaches flash fiction. And that is how a fiction writer gets to be a feature on Poetry Spoken here, because I think he's going to be able to tell us some things about how flash fiction relates to poetry. So, Brando, I'm really glad we live in the same town. Hey, Charlie, yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, I mean, this. I just drove over. It's really convenient, and it's actually warm, a balmy 34 degrees outside. That's so right. we're, we're, we're ready to go. You got it, yeah. <laughs> so uh, for people who haven't thought much about it, or have but aren't sure, uh, what do you tell students flash fiction is? Sure. I mean, this is something that uh, I've spent a good deal of time thinking about. I used to work in publishing for 10 years as an editor, and I edited almost exclusively nonfiction. And the reason I did that is because I was an aspiring fiction writer myself. And as many aspiring fiction writers are, I was jealous. I was envious. Uh, I also was not very good. So I didn't think that I could bring anything to working with fiction writers in a way that would be productive for them. But I was always reading and processing and figuring out what kind of aesthetic worked worked for me. So when I think about flash fiction, I think the first thing that comes to people's mind is like sort of short bursts, like two or three sentence stories, and that's a perfectly acceptable way to think about it. I'm thinking more about harnessing inspiration. So if you have an idea, you think, oh, it would really make a great story. What happens, what, the, the, the biggest problem that most writers face is that they don't know how to harness that inspirational lightning bolt. They don't have the container. They don't basically have the mm-hmm. lightning rod to channel that energy somewhere. And so for me, my role in teaching the students at Bennington is to figure out, what, first of all, to get them to, to, to harness that inspirational bolt and then to give them the appropriate container with which to put that inspirational sort of idea or images, because it usually starts out as an image, and that's where most people mess up, is because they have the image, they don't know what to do with it. So I, I and this is something that I've thought about, you know, also from having worked in publishing, is I probably told writers more and more times than I could count, show, don't tell. And I'm sure you've heard that, that, that specific maxim, and it's pretty useless, right? Because I mean, like literally, it could mean a hundred different things, right? So when I say to a student, show, don't tell, what that means is I want something in a scene. Now, when we talk about a scene, we're talking about something that's maybe, uh, it could be about maybe six to eight lines. It could be something really, really short, like we're talking about flash fiction, or it could be like a couple pages. That's sort of the parameters that I'm thinking about. But generally, there's an idea, there's an image, 
you funnel into that scene in order to create it. And there are five basic components, I feel, to what good. makes a scene, right? This is good. All right, Specific. so this, this, is, this, is, this, this is really the secret sauce here. So I'm, I'm giving it away to your, oh, your listeners here. Wow. This, is, this is the stuff Take here notes. that, uh, this, is the, this is the good stuff. So for me, a scene starts, step number one, oops, yeah, step number one is, starts with an action. So the scene begins when someone does something active. Right, so it could be you know like Vonnegut said, make your character go and do something, even if it means like, you know get a glass of water. If a character can accomplish something by sitting on the couch or waking up, like from a dream, that's generally not what I consider an action. An action would be I'm going to the refrigerator to get like a slice of apple pie, something like that, something really basic, something physical, something that's moving you with some sort of agency. Step two. Now this is an optional step, but most effective scenes have dialogue. So that means a character says something or is speaking to another character, and dialogue to me should do one of two things. It should deepen our understanding of character or advance the plot. So let me say that again. So dialogue isn't, hey, Jimmy, how are you doing? Fine, blah, blah, blah. Dialogue should either deepen our understanding of character. It's like, well, you know, Apple pie tastes like, you know, my grandmother's old coffee. It's something, something that yeah, establishes yeah, yeah, a character yeah. or advance the plot. Okay. I really hope there's apple pie in that fridge because if there isn't, <laughs> someone, my neighbor's going to pay, blah, 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 right? It, it basically gets us moving, right? So the third step is every scene should have specific, intimate details that are observed by the narrator or the writer's POV that the reader would not be able to observe without that without the narrator or writer's help. Now, when I say intimate details, I'm referring to, let, let me give you an example. You walk into uh, your boss's office and you see that the edges of like the bo boss's like sofa are like scratched up and you get really worried, like, well, what made those scratches or whatever? And then like the boss comes out from like, like his you know, beautiful apportioned bathroom and he comes out holding a cat because he really loves the cat, and then he lets the cat go and scratch everything, and all of a sudden, the narrator feels relaxed, oh, because I love cats, and now I know the boss is the kind of person that will let his cat roam around his office and scratch up the furniture. Mm. So I now have some sort of connection with this boss character, and the reader then understands, oh, this was a detail that was important enough for us to observe it and to process it, so we now understand what's going on in the character's mind. Mm which leads us to the fourth thing. So we should always understand what our primary character is thinking, feeling, or processing. And there's a very simple sort of rubric with which to remember this. Anne Hood was a wonderful writer. I worked with her over at Breadloaf. She said, basically, when you have a character that's in some sort of situation, right, that requires some sort of agency or action, they should do one of three things. They should react, reflect, or reveal. So react could be, Oh, you know, um, my the front door to this house is locked. I'm going to react to that by kicking the door in, or or bashing, or you know, doing some some sort of action, right? Reflect. Well, hmm, the door is locked, and the last time I kicked a door in, somebody was there behind it with a deck chair, and like I got clobbered on the head with it. So maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe if I do that and I'm reflecting on this, it might cause me great pain, right? Or reveal. You know what? Locked doors have been very troubling for me ever since I was a child because I was locked in a closet once. And you know what? I'm not going to walk in. 
Now that right there of the four steps I've already outlined, this one right there, this is the most important step because if you start thinking about you know, fiction that you've read that has really connected with you yeah. or, or writers that have really revealed something on the page, it's because those characters reacted or reflected or revealed things that reach the sort of the commonality, the universal, universality of like human experience, right? Fifth and final thing, every scene needs a definite starting point and a definite stopping point. Now, remember what I said that a scene starts with an action? So if the action was, hey, I'm going to go up to the fridge and get a pie and slice of apple pie, then the end of the scene is either the character has gotten the pie or we no longer care about the pie because the character is on their way to get something else. Mm -hmm. So in other yeah. words, the opening of the scene starts with the action. The end of the scene concludes the action. That is my five-point checklist. And I think that if you put your fiction into that rubric, you will see the places where you've connected with those five points and the places where it's lacking. And I want to make it clear again that by no means it means that, you know, there are tons of scenes that might have more additional steps, but almost every scene I've read in literature that like I feel like I've connected with in some way, it does all five of those things. And include, you know, again, dialogue yeah, being sure. optional or not. Yeah. So I think that's, yeah, that's my idea. That's, that's flash fiction. Whoa. Now, now can a, how, how briefly can a person do that? Can a person do this in the... A hundred words? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. No, I think I think you can. I, I think, um, uh, again, I, I've read examples, uh, and I'm, two immediately that come to mind are Amy Hempel, H-E-M-P-E-L, mm -hmm. and Robert Olin Butler. They're really masters of sort of the miniature form of huh. like, you know, doing something in a hundred words. Again, remember I said like dialogue is optional. Right. So some of those some of those uh, hundred word examples might not have dialogue, but they absolutely they start with action. They absolutely have those specific intimate details that the reader would not be able to observe without yeah. the writer's help. They absolutely have react, reflect, reveals, and they absolutely have sort of an ending that attempts in some way to conclude the introductory action that gets us into the story. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's absolutely doable in 100 words. It takes practice. Oh, it yeah. absolutely takes practice. Oh, but I think, again, you know, the idea is... Flash fiction, right? You know, thinking of the lightning bolt as a metaphor again. It's like you have that perfect image in your head. The only way to get that image out in a way that conveys some sort of story is to give us that context. Mm -hmm. And so much of that context, I think, comes from react, reflect, reveal, giving us that sort of background and specific intimate details. Now I'm wondering what it's got to do with poetry. <laughs> <laughs> That's that, going in that, in that direction. Now I'm wondering. It just seemed to me that flash pieces do similar things to what some narrative poems do mm -hmm. or maybe mm -hmm. a lot of narrative mm -hmm. poems do mm -hmm. i mean well and essentially but like we mentioned when we were talking bukowski I mean, yeah essentially he does a little scene or a little a little story he goes to the racetrack or whatever happens you know so maybe he is doing there's always the same an incident thing. like in a bukowski poem for instance there's always an incident there's always yeah. some sort of event in some way i think that bukowski is one of those gateway poets that you know, people just have their own assumptions about what a Bukowski poem is like. Oh, it's, you know, it's alcohol, it's like, mm. you know, women, and it's like working at the post office, that kind of thing. But there's usually, there's, at its core, there's some sort of incident. And I think that the poetry that I respond to specifically, and again, we're speaking about a specific kind of poetry, not 
making huge generalizations right. about poetry in general. The poetry that I respond to, there is some sort of incident where you get the sense the writer is attempting to weigh the incident in some way, evaluate it in mm -hmm. some way, so that they are trying to provide a takeaway for the reader. And I think, again, to the idea of flash fiction is that that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to take this image, right? Yeah. And you're trying to basically harness it and put it in a box so that there is some sort of takeaway for the reader. One of the poets that I really got into, I, I have a dear friend of mine who's a poet, his name's Jeff, and he, uh, when we met at grad school, was really into James Tate. And I don't know if you've ever read his work, but Tate Not has been much. around for so, many, many yeah. years. And the thing that, that Jeff responded to in Tate was humor. And I think humor is one of those sort of like underutilized weapons, basically, mm -hmm. that a writer has in their arsenal. And he would read the poems, and I was like, wow, I didn't realize poems could be funny. But I then realized later, oh, part of the takeaway that Tate tries to offer the reader is humor. And humor could be, you know, for, for a number of different things. It could be about religion. It could be about, yeah. you know, sex. It could be about, you know, what, whatever was on his mind that day. But I think, again, the idea of trying to offer something to the reader, to give them something that's not just your craft, not just your art, but mm -hmm. gives them a little sort of, you know, a bit of wisdom to kind of think about as they go through yeah, their day. Yeah. That, I think, is really important. Yeah, as well, well, I was thinking about Billy Collins' Lavalier poem. Oh, about yeah, sure. The Lavalier for Mom. Yeah. And it's definitely a little story. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. And, and, I, I and think he's that, almost always funny. Yeah, no, he's almost always, yeah. There's <laughs> rare moment when he's not. Yeah. So I think that's also, you know, something that's, that's worth considering is that what are we as writers offering the reader? What does the reader mm -hmm. get from reading our work? And that's not to say that, you know, we should be writing with an idea towards publication or, you know, having a specific no. reader in mind. But, but I think, again, it's that, that idea of you're sharing like something. if there's a reader. If there's a reader. What's that reader going to get out of it? What's that reader going to get out of it? It's going to be somebody besides you and your mom or whatever, you know? <laughs> Exactly. Right. Exactly. Well, why don't you read a little something? Yeah, let me, like let me, let me get a little, little art in let here. Let me read a little slice here. And okay. uh, this is from... My book, The Madonnas of Echo Park, I, I've written two books. Uh, one is a novel and one is a memoir. And uh, uh, I often tell people that uh, the novel is the life that I would have had if I'd lived as a Mexican-American. In your beginning, you said that I was a Hispanic Native American author. Well, I'm actually just, just in full disclosure, I'm actually just Latino, I'm just Mexican. I just have the American Indian last name, but I didn't know that for a really long time. And so this novel is basically the life that I would have lived if I had been raised as a Mexican-American. The memoir is the life that I lived instead. The novel is a much happier book. So whoever wants to make sort of conclusions yeah, about that, they yeah. can. So we have to fix your Wikipedia page. Yeah, I know. That's where I, I got that I know, phrase. I know, I know. That's and, that's and, believe and, me. I that's where people get it. They go because Wikipedia. I heard you read. I thought that didn't sound right. By the way, I'm just gonna. No, go. no, 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 no. Wait, don't don't believe everything you wiki, right? You. Yeah. So <laughs> this is from the, uh, the opening chapter, which is called Bienvenidos, which is welcome in in Spanish. And uh, I think once you hear this, you'll you'll get a sense of where this sort of my understanding yeah. of what flash fiction or what a scene actually is. We slipped into this country like thieves onto the land that once was ours. Those who had never been here before could at last see the promised land in the darkness. Those who had been deported and come back, only a shadow of that promise. Before the sun rises on this famished desert, stretching from the fiercest undertow in the Pacific, to the steepest flint-tipped crest in the San Gabriel Mountains, the temperature drops to an icy chill, the border disappears, and in a finger snap of a blink of an eye, we are running. 
carried on the breath of a morning frost into hot kitchens to cook your food, waltzing across miles of tile floor to clean your houses, settling like dew on shaggy front lawns to cut your grass. We run into this American dream with a determination to shed everything we know and love that weighs us down if we have any hope of survival. This is how we learn to navigate the terrain. I measure the land not by what I have, but by what I have lost, because the more you lose, the more American you can become. In the rolling jade valleys of Elysian Park, my family lost their home in Chavez Ravine to the cheers of gringos rooting for a baseball team they stole from another town. Down the hill in Echo Park, I lost my wife and the woman I left her for when I ran out of excuses and they ran out of forgiveness. Across town in Hollywood, I lost my job of 18 years when a restaurant that catered to fashion and fame found its last customers were those who had neither. And my daughters, they are both lost to me somewhere in the blinding California sunshine. What I thought I could not lose was my place in this country. How can you lose something that never belonged to you? Oh, yeah. So that's, again, that's sort of like, if I'm thinking about the novel as sort of this, this you know, kind of big massive arc, that's sort of the, the mission statement. That's sort of like the opening salvo, if you will. And as you see there, there's no dialogue. But right. there's a lot of reveal. There's a lot of reflection. Right, right. Oh, and yeah. there's a lot of those specific intimate details that the reader wouldn't be able to observe without the narrator observing it for them. And uh, yeah, yeah it's, so it's, it's internal. Yeah, it's, it's internal. About it, thinking it's, about his own loss. Thinking so about his own loss. We would and never his own, know. Yeah, exactly. So I think, again, thinking about how you get that work right to, to connect with other people, you start with the image. And I think, again, this, this right here... The image was something very specific, the idea of somebody kind of off in the hills looking down at Los Angeles. If you've ever seen that stereotypically beautiful view, yeah. it just like looks like a million lights kind of spread out in the darkness and wondering, you know, where he fits in all of that. And then trying to figure out, okay, I have the image. Who is he? What's he looking at? What, why, why does he have this sense of loss? What's his backstory? Yeah. And then that's where the fiction starts to come in and then you start to kind of like meticulously connect the image with this person's the sense of loss, this sense of connection, and hopefully the two kind of come together in an interesting yeah. way. Not always, but sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> the more you lose, the more you become American. The more American you become, yeah, exactly. Oh, and I think that's yeah. one of those lines that, you know, again, for me, that is a specific reveal that is unique to this character. This character yeah. understands that this is what it means to be American. And in particular, it's one of those things that, you know, people understand it. People, when I read that line, people understand it, they get it. But it's also something that helps us understand, okay, this is the kind of perspective that this character has. This, these are the kinds of things that are going to be important to mm -hmm. him. So it kind of like, it's almost like a radio frequency. It's like, okay, I've got to pay attention now because that right yeah. there is a really important thing that the narrator told us. And I should file that away because that's probably going to come into play yeah. later on in the story. Right. Now, you, you seem to um, talk about flash fiction as it's like a step on the way to something bigger. Do you yeah, feel yeah. That, rather than just a thing in itself. I mean, I imagine I'm thinking for Amy Hempel, she's just writing those stories. She's just she writing to those do stories. And, yeah. and I think, again, that that's uh, in part because I, 
I have issues with short stories because I'm not very good at them. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm just being completely honest. I always think of myself as like, you know, somebody who's writing a novel. And it's interesting because mm. when Madonna's was being shopped to agents, each one of the chapters, this is basically called a novel and stories, right? Okay. But as you can see, the publisher, they call it a novel. I consider it a novel. Yeah. But if people want to think it's a novel and stories too, that's totally okay. up to them. Sure. That's totally fine. So I always thought of them as a connected tapestry. But in order for me to make the tapestry manageable, I needed to get those small, bite-sized, yeah. discrete chunks. For me, the chunks were only interesting if I could connect them to something larger. Now, for other writers, they don't want to do that. They just want the discrete chunks. Right. And uh, I'd be very interested you know, to hear for perhaps from other writers who you know, read sections of Madonna's and you know, you know, to hear their thoughts. Oh, do these chunks work on their own? Right. Do they gain a greater right. power right. with them all being together? Because you'll see basically, like if you go through the book, there are these sort of mini scenes that are maybe about a page or two. And, you know, I'd be very curious to hear if people felt like, oh, well, this could work as its own thing. Yeah. And then right. looking at it now and, and looking at the rubric that I, I've developed, I see that some of these scenes, you could lift them wholesale out of the book and they right. could work as their own yeah. sort of separate yeah. thing. Yeah. But again, to me, the idea is to connect them to something larger. That's what's more interesting to me. But every writer is different. So yeah. well, I think with Amy, Hem I think with Amy Hempel, her aesthetic is that it's getting things, you know, kind of honed down in such an exquisite way that that jewel, mm -hmm. so that literally she has those hundred words, and that's enough for her. Yeah. I, I I can't do that. I need yeah. I need more story. <laughs> but we were well, I was telling you I've been working with the the Chinese style poems. And my revelation on that some years ago was that I want them to be individually there, oh, but sure. I think they're much more when they're a sequence. Sure. So do you, I'm kind of wanting it both ways. Do you think about that as you compose your own work, though? Do you think um, about that? Do you think about the sequence as you're writing um, these individual pieces? With those poems, I do because I know, let's say, there's going to be forty or fifty or sixty of them. And I'm thinking, well, this is all like, like winter poems or lakeside poems is another collection. And okay, different things have to happen. <laughs> you know, it can't be the, the contemplative person looking right. at the lake. Sure. Poem after poem. Right. So I'm definitely thinking about, or we need to lighten up, or we need to introduce some other, have some other people. Humor, action, do, of course. Or observe other people doing things so that different kinds, so variety can, essentially variety can happen possibly humor um, you know but anyway altering the mood altering um, the tone possibly which I think again goes back to that sort of crafting the takeaway for yeah. the reader and that being conscious that there's somebody on the other side yeah. of this and they're gonna want to know like okay so you're yeah. at the lake you what's in it for me what's in it for me yeah what's what's in it for the reader okay it's sunny today Good <laughs> yeah. oh it's cold well nice you know so uh, yeah that kind of a thing so definitely there's a consideration of of that it's going to ultimately be with a bunch of other ones and that that will have to have variety. Sure, sure. This variety is the biggest thing I think about. That makes me put it in that context. Yeah, but well, I mean, variety yeah. is important as well because I think, again, you know, that that's... Mm. Uh, when I've talked to other people about Madonnas and, you know, it's about Mexican-American immigrants and, you know, I was writing at the time, you know, this was 2008, 2009 and... You know, I was thinking, well, you know, like immigration. Well, clearly this won't be a hot button issue anymore. So I better, get, I better get moving on this. <laughs> who knows? I might lose my audience. Like, well, who knew? Who knew? Right? But there is always that sense yeah. of, well, if I'm writing about these issues, they, if the reader feels that I am being didactic, if they feel that I am preaching to them with some sort of philosophy. Yeah. 
then it's going to make them feel excluded. But if, again, going to the idea of fiction, fiction is about, you know, thinking about literature, right? So it's a character going through actions. And then through those actions, we understand, hopefully, something, something about ourselves, right? So for me, character is always the key. And if we can get to an understanding of character, it's about, you know, what does this character have to offer me as a reader? And can I learn anything? Not in a, yeah. necessarily in always a prescriptive way, but what can this character teach me about life? And I think, the, the again, the challenge is that so many writers work in a visual way. Is there a way that you can take that image and connect it to a character? And to me, that's where the fusion, fusion, fusion comes in. Yeah. The idea of sort of taking that image, harnessing it, connecting it to a character, and then creating something kind of in the moment yeah. that you know, hopefully kind of captures that image. Because I think, again, you know, what I've been speaking to, you know, structure and everything else, this is for, like, the marketplace. This is like, okay, when you mm -hmm. want to, like, start selling it and putting it out into the world and getting it published, it needs that structure. But if you're just writing for yourself for the, the pure satisfaction of connecting that image, you know, the flash is basically just to create it, get it down, and move on to the next thing. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Did, did you have another short thing you wanted to read? Uh, uh, let me see, actually. Yeah, did, why don't I... Why don't do I, that, we'll wrap up uh, with yeah, that. Yeah, let me, let me close up with... Uh, this is something that's from uh, the, the ending of the book. And there is a character named Aurora who we meet in the beginning. And then she has sort of a prominent uh, scene at the end, prominent story at the end. And she's had this sort of difficult relationship with her mother. And she goes to her mother's house ostensibly to like, you know, walk the mother's dog. And then she loses the dog in Echo Park and has to go find the dog. And she's, she realizes as she's going through the neighborhood that the neighborhood has changed. It's gentrifying. There are people, you know, there's mm -hmm. coffee shops. There are all these different things that weren't there when she was growing up. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't know how she feels about that. And she doesn't know how she feels about her mother. And so this is a scene basically that happens at the end of the book, where, which is basically an attempt to, again, now look at the focus on scene, but also look at the focus on character, because I think mm -hmm. that's where those two things that's kind of come together. So... A bright yellow frisbee sails over me, as if suspended from strings, a lost UFO from one of those old black-and-white sci-fi movies I loved watching with my mother on Saturday mornings in my pajamas. My mother's dog, Blackjack, takes off and catches the wayward satellite before it slams into a steel drum trash can. Racing back, he leaps right past me and returns the frisbee to my mother, who I didn't realize was standing behind me. She walks over, holding the frisbee out to me. Our fingers interlace and lock in the exchange. She lets them linger there, then pulls the frisbee away. The whip snatch motion sends both our hands upward, sailing the disc in a clear, uninterrupted trajectory. I watch Blackjack take off in haste as it soars high above the ground, where the ghost of Chavez Ravine walks side by side with the souls of the bereaved through the sun-dappled leaves of the walnut trees, across the thickets of dusty chaparral, down a plain dirt road lined with Mexican fan palms to an amaranthine valley of orange groves that bloom from here to the ocean, a land rich with roots that grow, thrive, burn, are raised, heal, then grow again, deeper and stronger than before. This is the land we dream of, the land that belongs to us again. Well, that was very appropriate because the, the diction there was very poetic. Yeah, I was, yeah, that's what I was going for. <laughs> <laughs> you got to, you got to 
got it, man. Getting, getting, getting that, that, that approbation from a poet. Thank you very you much. It, Thank man, you yes. so much. So we, this is Poetry Spoken here, and we've been enjoying a conversation with Brando Skyhorse. spoken here. We've just heard from Brando Skyhorse, and talking with him prompted me to get a few other books about flash fiction to just see what else we might learn. I found some pretty interesting things. In the anthology Sudden Fiction, there are some useful words about the form, such as these from Joyce Carol Oates. She says, Very short fictions are nearly always experimental, exquisitely calibrated, reminiscent of Frost's definition of a poem, a structure of words that consumes itself as it unfolds, like ice melting on a stove. The form is sometimes mythical, sometimes merely anecdotal, but it ends with its final sentence, often with its final word. We who love prose fiction love these miniature tales, both to read and to write, because they are so finite, so highly compressed, and highly charged. That's Joyce Carol Oates. I got out Amy Temple's book, Tumble Home, that I hadn't read in a while, and found a couple of examples there. Here's one. It's about two and a half pages long. It's called Church Cancels Cow. The story opens with the protagonist walking her dog in a cemetery. A woman in a car comes up and essentially accuses her of letting the dog poop on the graves. The way the woman says it is, you're leaving faces on the graves. Well, once the protagonist figures out that uh, the woman in the car means feces, she uh, responds, no, it's not my dog. The woman continues to accuse her, and finally uh, she says, I have relatives here. I don't want people leaving feces on the graves. This makes the woman become a little more conciliatory. And she says, look, I've counted dogs here. I've, I've counted three dogs. And interestingly, and Hempel does this, Hempel has the main character go to a memory of when, as a child, she and her brother counted cows when the family went on long drives. She would have the cows on one side, the brother would have the cows on the other side to count. And when they came to a church, if you got a church on your side, you had to go back to zero. And she long wondered why church cancels cows, the title of the story. Until one day she happened to mention this to her brother, and her brother told her it wasn't the church, it was the cemeteries. The story ends there. That's what it is. Just a little little anecdote out of life with a little quirkiness to it. And that's Church Cancels Cows by Amy Hempel. Let me give you another example. And this I find quite interesting because it is so extremely short. This piece presented here as flash fiction is four lines long by Amy Hempel. The title is Housewife. She would always sleep with her husband and with another man in the course of the same day. And then the rest of the day, for whatever was left to her of that day, she would exploit by encanting French film, French film. 
That went by so quickly. I'm going to read it again. Housewife. She would always sleep with her husband and with another man in the course of the same day. And then the rest of the day, for whatever was left to her of that day, she would exploit by encanting. French film. French film. A lot of things to think about from just four lines. And that's pretty much what uh, flash fiction's about. Giving you a lot in a very little bit of time. Very few words. We'll uh, encourage you to look into flash fiction. It's related to poetry, I think, because of its conciseness. And sometimes it's highly poetic language as demonstrated by Brando Skyhorse's uh, wonderful readings for us. Let's close with a comment from Grace Paley. And she says, The truth is people are kind of scared of very, very short stories just as they are by long poems. A short story is closer to the poem than to the novel. I've said that a million times. And when it's very, very short, like one, two, two and a half pages, should be read like a poem. That is, slowly. People who like to skip can't skip in a three-page story. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this has been Poetry Spoken Here. Join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Mundley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.